In a town in the woods at the top of a hill There's a house where no one lives So you take a big bag of your big city money there And buy it But at night when the house is dark And you're all alone There's a noise upstairs At the top of the stairs Hi, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio This is RPPR, episode 87 Fantasy with a Horror Chaser And with me, as always, is Mr. Tom Church Annunciation Yep Annunciation is awesome. So, uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about mixing genres up. Yeah. Uh, this is at uh, Mr. Tom Church's uh, request or idea. Uh, he has been very, uh, well, uh, proactive, I guess is the corporate word. I am awesome. I am yeah. very proactive in, <laughs> I, in this company. You're I love synergizing my- paradigms all up in this bitch. I'm promoting synergy. You are. So, uh, before we get to that, though, we have a bit of some news. Uh, obviously, Base Raiders is first uh, uh, topic uh, for the news. Uh, it's in editing now. Uh, Patrick uh, Seth Williams, who is a former RPPR player. You remember. Yeah, him. and he's been... Uh, <laughs> he's been friend. He's off in the northern lands, uh, the land of cheese. <laughs> yeah, the land of cheese. And he is editing it uh, as we speak. And uh, after we finish his editing, I get it back. Uh, I'll revise it based on his uh, editing remarks and then comments. And uh, then I'll start laying it out. And once I lay out a version of the book that I can then send out to everybody. Uh, or to the backers, uh, so they'll. I'll give you guys three weeks to look it over, uh, play test it, and comment on it. Uh, and after that, then it will. I get all your comments back. I'll revise it again and prepare for the final layout, and then ship the book off the printing and prepare the final PDF. So hopefully, I'll have the PDF out before Gen Con. That's my goal: is to have the final PDF out before Gen Con. Because uh, the- when Gen Con comes around, Ross isn't thinking about anything. Well, I mean, I'd like to have the books <coughs> ahead of Gen. I mean, in time for Gen Con, so I could sell them. But that's probably not going to happen. And I really want to get all the books out to the. And I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't sell the book at Gen Con until unless I had shipped all the books out sure. or was about to ship all the books out because that wouldn't be fair to you guys uh, or at least those of you who are backing the book uh, vis-a-vis the Kickstarter. So um, we're we're done almost. Well, we're not done, but we're getting there. Yay. Uh, so uh, in other news, um, since I've started thinking about design and layout and artsy-fartsy crap like that, uh, we're going to do um, starting a RP- redesign of all the RPPR sites, websites. Uh, and so first off will be role-playing public radio itself. So by the time this episode is up, there will, the site will look brand new and fancy, uh, and It'll blow your mind. Yes. Thank you, Tom. And it will be totally awesome. And to celebrate that, uh, we're creating a new feature for RPPR for those hardcore listeners out there. Uh, this is called RPPR B-Sides and <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh God. Oh, <laughs> My insides are churning in my gut right now. Your, your showing of support is appreciated, Tom. Anything for the fans. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so, in uh, besides, uh, there we record a lot of material, and not all of it makes it to the main podcast, and some of it never will make it to the main podcast uh, because games while, that just go nowhere. Well, I mean, convention games they can be fun, for example, but a lot of you who listen to the, the AP podcast complain about the convention games because the 
sound quality isn't as good because, well, they're in convention halls and it's noisy. Uh, so, but a lot of you do like the these games. So, those of you who are the dedicated AP fans uh, and want to get this ancillary material, I'll create uh, the first the first package or first compilation of B side material. Uh, will be fifteen convention games, uh, along with some new material that I'll record with Tom, maybe Caleb. Uh, we'll probably do some, maybe some fan fiction readings, maybe talk about uh, our thoughts on running games at conventions. It's just a roundtable discussion. So there will be, so there'll be some new, brand new material, and this material will be once I post it, it will it'll be available. But by the time you listen to this episode, uh, for twenty dollars you get all of them. Uh, and that's then, right, Chunky, suckle at the T to get your fix. <laughs> You're just waiting for that. Uh, it. You have no idea how much patience I had to do to wait to the right moment. <laughs> all right, fair enough. But worth it uh, for those of you who can't make it. Uh, right. I, I I am dedicated to making sure that all the material eventually eventually is free for everybody. I don't want to make it to where it's a paywall only material. So we would do that. I will eventually release the material uh, about a. Uh, I'm thinking a year later. I haven't set on the exact date, but a year after I initially make it available, uh, it will be available <laughs> not as a weekly episode or whatever. I'll just like. Uh, Open it up to the public as a separate page. You can download it uh, if you want to. Of course, this will be a year later. So if you're impatient, you want to support the podcast, then uh, you should or you can, you know, help pay for the. the Yes, we shall profit from impatience. (laughs) Basically, Uh, as well as a way of uh, supporting the the podcast. And for those that can't get enough. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, Yes, exactly. So uh, that's. Just a new feature, so a way to get all this material that I've been sitting on for a long time and didn't know what to do with. So, probably because of the smell. And some of this material is. You're so critical on your own material, Tom. I'm my own work. I'm the worst critic I have, <laughs> except for well, okay, uh, yeah, you really are. Because like some, because... no, Ross, you you give me an honest critique, I flagellate myself. <laughs> oh, uh... like, no, that is not how we do things. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, because we uh, the next material we can release will be something like Call, Tom's Call of Cthulhu games. He's never I never posted because you're like oh, don't post this. And I'm like all right, whatever. But yeah, I, like, That's, I won't, Tom. We'll wait in the future till I do, and that. we'll make them pay. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you had a mutants master can mutants and masterminds campaign that never went anywhere. I've talked about that before. Yeah, though. you've talked about it before. RJ ran an aborted uh, mutants master campaign last one or two sessions. Uh, I have D&D games that I played in that Bill or Dan ran that never went anywhere. Uh, Just like, proof that not all of the games we do are complete, utter successes. Well, I mean, in the sense that there there's campaigns with a beginning, middle, and end. Like, it's, it, you know, it's very common in role-playing games to start a campaign. And it just never, it just kind of fades apart, falls apart, and that's why. And, I, uh, and sometimes you don't even know why, but it just does. Yeah, um, you know the Slenderman campaign that I have posted because I like the individual sessions. No, they're did. great. I just wish uh, we had finished it. So <laughs> there are uh, so the the AP fans out there will will get we got your back. We'll, we'll have a lot. We got of you, we got your hookup. <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. Call us the Candy Man. Yeah. So we'll do this probably once every uh, couple of months or whatever. Um, I don't know. I haven't worked it out yet. So we'll just we'll just see how this goes. Um, that that that's it for news. Um, yeah. So let's get on to the main topic. You came up with the idea for this, so I did. You you talk about it. Well, as realizing that uh, a lot of the games I often do, you know, I'm saying, okay. So I was actually thinking, all right, 
I'm trying because I'm trying to work up some new campaign, actual campaigns to do for right. our PPR, not just one shot. We're just not satisfied with having one campaign already. Well, that's going on, but you know, it's I realize this is the first one I've ever done, and I've been in the group a little while. Yeah. So I was kind of just thinking, you know, okay, so what genres do I really focus on? I tried to just kind of distill it down to one. Yeah. But I suddenly realized, actually, I mix genres all the time. Yeah. So I really don't have one that I thought, oh, hey, mixing genres. I don't think we've talked about that, and that's something we do a lot. Yeah. And it's often sometimes not easy to do. No, it's not. It's not. And it's very easy to uh, screw it up. So uh, you... Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's the thing. You can you can take there. There's tons of tons of genres. I mean, people <coughs> tend to think of it like you know. There's a few. Yeah, well, you know, horror. You know, like what the ones you see on Netflix or whatever. Yeah. You know, adventure, horror, fantasy. Well, they kind of put fantasy sci-fi together. Yeah, they do. Um, but there 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 are a lot of subgenres within those. Uh, and they're yeah, hard sci-fi, soft sci-fi. Yeah, or in comic books, you have yeah. like. You have Iron Age, Grim, and you know Frank Miller, Grim, Dark stuff. <coughs> you have kind of mainstream stuff. You have Silver Age. You have, uh, I mean, I would argue that in comic books, for example, all the characters that like all the major characters of both DC and Marvel aren't really characters; they're genres. Mm-hmm. Like if you're telling the Superman story, it has certain characteristics that you would not see in example uh, a Green Lantern or story. a Batman. Well, I mean, Superman, Batman and Superman stories are always that's a subgenre in mm-hmm. itself because that's like it's always about the contrast between Batman and Superman idealism versus pragmatism or, you know, omnipotence versus humanity uh, or near omnipotence. Uh, uh, demigodry versus. Yeah. Yeah. Mort- so mortality. like power versus varying levels of power and responsibility. Uh, so that's a, that's there, there's genres. I mean, you know, Spider-Man is a genre, uh, sort of the whole like I'm trying to be a normal person while with great power. Comes Except great, I'm not. Yeah. Great power comes great responsibility. <coughs> and so you have all these kind of genres uh, uh, and subgenres. So how do you mix them together? What 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 elements do you put together and what what doesn't work? I think that's mm-hmm. you know, the main idea. So. Uh, I, I've, as I found, some genres, I think, you know, fit together better than others. Yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> like, <clears throat> horror and comedy are two, I think, are kind of, not impossible. No, I don't think anything is impossible to put together. Yeah. But it's one of them, like, that one's one of the more difficult ones. Right. Because it's, usually it's, some, it's often two kind of contradictory things. Like, two contradictory emotions you're going for. Well, I mean, horror and comedy, I mean, in movies and linear storytelling actually work together very well a lot because they're kind of rely on surprise. You know, the idea of like, oh, revelation. And it either makes you laugh or it scares the shit out of you. Uh, But in a a game, especially you can't control the you you can't control the actors. I mean, the actors have their own timing. So you can you try and set up. I mean, as a game master, a GM has less power than a director in some ways. Oh, yeah. well, the thing is, like, you don't have any control over the time. Like, you can't try and set up a joke. Like, doing a comedy game, as a game master, how do you do that? Like, you don't have any control over You can try and set up jokes, but you have to hope the players set up a punchline. <coughs> usually the punchlines, the good jokes always happen in unexpected parts, you know, yeah. uh, of other games. I don't know. No, it's, yeah, you you, it's like you can write a joke down in a, outline or a script or you know a story outline but 
it's you're not going to know till you're actually doing it if you know it's going to work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, doing comedy alone in a role playing game that would be another good topic. Just how do you do it intentionally? Like all the most of our jokes have been pretty much like as a result of improvised banter. You know, mm-hmm. I think I which mean, I I've think never. Is, I, I, can't I think remember. it's essential to role playing. I think. Well, yeah, of course, for good role playing. I mean. We're not the those kind of serious groups that mm, yes mm, uh, we can't this. no we can't possibly yeah. I honestly don't think that we could do that in our group. Well, we can for times, just not the entire game. You no. know, so we have to. Well, they, we have to work at it to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have to like all right, dude, okay, no, no, we're just, certainly like in the later sessions of No Evil, there wasn't quite as much you know joking around mm-hmm. uh, as there were. Well, when, when we sensed the end game coming, yeah, well, just the revelation, like oh shit, things are horrible. We're making horrible choices. We're all horrible people. Oh, we're not going to take responsibility for it. <laughs> yeah, we are. No, we're not. Mm. Oh my god, uh, I totally <laughs> forgot. Uh, we we should do this as a separate thing, but uh, the No Evil fan contest is over. We need to announce the, the results. Yeah. Oh my god, I totally forgot. Uh, we'll just we won't edit. Um, I'll just mention that uh, after we do the main topic of discussion because that fantastic. they deserves they their their own recognition. So the Indeed. No Evil fan contest. So we'll we'll talk about that uh, in uh, <laughs> in a bit. So. Um, Moving on. So, uh, like, but you know, horror comedy, like, you know, some, like, a lot, some movies have gotten it right. Yeah. Like Evil Dead, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's easier doing movies, but for a game. Yeah. Which you know doesn't have an actual script. Yeah. I think it's you know it's it's you it's really hard to, to you know you can try to aim the story towards one or the other. Yeah. But you can't yeah you cannot control which one's going to hit where. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about mixing genres is uh, trying to get the the balance right because it, it tends to either become one or, well, one or the other, one or the other, and the other uh, the genre you're trying to put in becomes sort of a a cosmetic minor yeah. element, you know, um, like uh, like like for fant- you know fantasy horror, the title yeah. the title of the episode. I've been in a few games where, especially if it's you know what everyone thinks of when they think fantasy game D and D, yeah. When you start, when the GM tries to throw in some horror elements, normally, no matter what happens, especially if like, you throw in like this, you know, a sanity sapping monster, the only thing the player is going to think of is, all right, probably about a CR fourteen. Well, I mean, I, I I would have to disagree because well, that's I, that's been my experience. That's been your experience. I mean, um, you, I've read a lot of Ravenloft material, you mm-hmm. know, back from Second Edition, and. It can be very <laughs> horrific, and the, but the problem is the the Ravenloft scenarios, as I remember them, they either tended to go leaning more on the the the, the fantasy or the horror. They could do horror, but it was usually with monster. The way that that was set up in Ravenloft is that they would present some horror element, some monster or curse or something, and then they would just write it in such a way that it would defeat the D and D game mechanics, like. Uh, this Ravenloft Lord is immune to everything except the one MacGuffin that can cure mm-hmm. it. Like you can't kill it with Vorpal Swords. You can't kill it with magic. You can't, you don't try and be clever. You have to do the one thing that we're telling you to do. So you kind of, they kind of forced in order to do horror. They had to railroad <coughs> you because your characters were competent and powerful usually. Um, or on the other hand, it was a, uh, some other ones were like, you're in a castle. Here's this treasure chest. Here are some monsters in this room. Here's a treasure chest with these items in it. And, and you know, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. So it became more of a dungeon crawl with just horror trapping. So in my experience, in, in at least with like Ravenloft, which is the sort of fantasy horror 
the fantasy horror setting, I think, to a lot of people. Um, it kind of like either had to become a horror game that just kind of ignored the D&D stuff by just like, oh, we're going to create some special rules that ignore all the normal D&D rules. <coughs> or we're going to do standard D&D with just some some horror stuff on the side. Yeah, so I mean, it it you could do it, but you kind of have to like – uh, if you're like, oh, God, it's a vampire. Well, I cast Force Cage on it. It's trapped in an escapable Force Cage. Like, well, fuck. Well, oh, yeah, well, this monster's immune to all that shit. Well, then it's not really D&D. You're just basically saying, uh-uh, you know. Yeah. So you, you have to rub this special right, item you, on him, too. Well, you're basically turning into Call of Cthulhu, where, like, the monsters are basically, fuck you, unless you have the magic MacGuffin. Yeah, so. I mean, and some D&D books, get, you know, actually help with, like, horror. Like, I do admit the Book of Vile Darkness has some good stuff in it for that. Not much. Not much, but it does have some. It's a pretty terrible book. But it's still got some things if you want to mix some horror in there. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I'm sorry. It's just. I didn't say it was a good book. I said it's got a few good things in it. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, But yeah, it's really. But, you know, I think some. yeah, some some genres I think go together go together pretty well, and sometimes you I know sometimes you mix genres and not even realize you're doing it. Yeah, like you know the gargoyles, you know, the three year long gargoyles campaign. It was essentially you know urban fantasy. It was also a soap opera. Yeah, that's I discovered that as I, you know I've often said I talked about just sometimes the players would just be happy having dialogue with NPCs for an hour or two at a time. Yeah, as I realized, shit, this is a soap opera. Yeah, and but the players were loving it because they they were loving what was happening. But it was they were basically just not not even there's some banter, but there's also just talking about pro- our problems and like, man, this happened or yeah, yeah. I, I was like, holy shit, like, like holy shit, this is a soap opera with monsters. So you could have used a more rules light system, you know, yeah. like maybe even teenagers from outer space or something like that. Indeed. So, uh, Instead of the world of darkness, because world of darkness is pretty like <coughs> if you get fucked up, you get fucked up. Like, you know, if your character gets hurt or something like that, the, the repercussions are pretty significant and uh, pretty deadly. So yeah. and by standard stuff and soap opera characters are pretty indestructible as the plot requires them. Death, fake deaths, mm-hmm. resurrections, I, and I, and I've, amnesia. And I played quite a bit of teenagers from outer space, especially yeah. back in uh, college. Yeah. And yeah, that's just pure anime, anime sci-fi fantasy, and a and a soap opera. Well, characters can't even die in it. I mean, no, they so. can be. They like it's bonked out. I believe. Is yeah, yeah. The term in the game. So I've been reading the the something awful forums. I've been talking about that on the fatal's fatal and friends uh, thread where they talk about weird role playing games. So uh, I've been <laughs> reading up a little bit about it. And uh, so yeah, so you kind of have to recognize what elements you want to do and what what's in, important to you. Uh, so we kind of mentioned about some examples like Ravenloft, uh, your campaign, but there's also like, uh, in D and D, you know, there's also Eberron, which is pulp and, mm-hmm. uh, pulp action version and fantasy. And those work very well together because in Eberron, you don't really have, it's still got the essence of D and D dungeon crawling, you know, combat, mm-hmm. uh, magic and small unit tactics and her- heroism and quests and that kind of thing. And Eberron, you have like, magical uh, trains and skyships and robots and stuff like that. So, uh, and I think that, 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 that's kind of a, a, a well, 
mixing two genres very well, you know, pretty easily. Right. Uh, and then in Eclipse Phase, you have sci-fi and another horror, as we mentioned. And that's a game that does it very well. Yeah. Uh, because even though even go, going very hot, very advanced transhuman sci-fi, they f- still figure ways out for well, people and to often be scared. Like, yeah, like the insurgents attack you from within. Right. Well, I mean that's the thing. Even though your characters are technically immortal, well, you still shit can still be bad. You know, um, that doesn't that that's not making it better. <coughs> so, um, so if you're thinking about combining two uh, role playing game or two genres in a role playing game, you kind of have to think about what's good about it and what's bad about it. Uh, so I think one thing you, you keep be aware of when you're doing mixing two genres, then you can do more types of stories than you could with one type of genre, you know, like in fantasy stories, for example, you have the quest, it's you know, for Tolkien. Yeah. Well, Tolkien or swashbuckling or like King Arthur mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, writing wrong or performing wrong, you know, if you're, you're the anti-hero or the villain or whatever. And, but in horror, you know, the stories are about the subversion of the normal, you know, something that is like everything's gone wrong and you don't know why, or you do know why you're just trying to survive. Um, there's not some, you know, so you can tell both types of stories in a fantasy horror campaign. You could do like, we must write, we must save the the wrong. You know, we must write this wrong. We must put the demons back. We must, uh, up in this curse. We must, you know, stop the curse, uh, and get out of this realm. Uh, or you could do horror, which is like, oh shit, we're just minding our own business, and then something horrible happens, and bad things happen to good people. Or we unleash something by mistake, mm. or yeah, because uh, you know players don't read stuff they're not supposed to or, <laughs> at all. No, no, no. Um, so that that's another thing. Uh, then, so you get that kind of versatility, and I think you also get more of relaxed playstyle because people. You know, they a lot of players. I think a lot of people have very specific expectations for specific genres. You know, yeah. like if you're doing fantasy, they want the high fantasy. They want their spells and they want their wizards and you know demons and magic swords shit like that. If you're doing fantasy horror, then they can expect. Well, maybe I'm not going to have a magic sword because it's horrific and that yeah. Maybe I'll too. just be uh, you know, a warrior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as some armor and a sword. Yeah, so they're 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 not going to be as like demanding. I think I, most players aren't. Um, and in Eclipse phase, like, well, why can't we just science all this shit away? Well, yeah, like, let's just rub science on it yeah. until it goes away. Yeah. But, well, no, we have a big horror thing, the Titans, and they're basically fucking badasses, and they're going to uh, out-science you. So Because uh, they're, they're, they're a lot better at it than you yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you have that on the other hand. Uh, and I think that one of the biggest other advantages is because it you put two genres together, you you make it original. Uh, you make it an you make it a novel thing because players like everyone's played D and D. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. played basic dungeon crawling game. The guy in the tavern gives you a quest. You go to the the Emil of Yandor's yeah. here. Go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but now if it's a fantasy horror thing, then people are like, oh shit, well, what if this dungeon is, how are we going to get out of this dungeon? What, what's in that dungeon? What about that magic item? Oh God, oh God. You know, it's like, should I touch that thing? Yeah, exactly. It becomes more horrific or more insidious. Um, and yeah. so they, they lose their <laughs> expectations. Um, and or like in a Call of Cthulhu game, like if you added, say like pulp action to it, you know, going back like the pulp from Eberron, let's make mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu pulp action so like you're the shadow fighting the cthulhu mythos well then like that 
cult of 12 dudes. Suddenly, yeah, suddenly your, your character doesn't seem so fragile. Yeah, so you can take more risks. So you can see more of the plot before you do. It's like, how bad can... Okay, so we could take out the cultists. What about that thing they're summoning? Hmm, that's still... that That's yeah. unknown. So hmm. instead of just, you know, let's run for our lives, it's, all right. It's like, so, all right, team, how are we going to handle this? Yeah. And But then they could... They, because it's Cthulhu, they could... No matter how badass they are, they're still going to lose. Actually, you know what? Cthulhu Invictus is, reminds me a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, as we were Romans, we are Romans. Yeah. So we're already a little more in tune with spiritual, you know, occult shit. Yeah. And we we were, like, our Roman characters, just by the fact of being from that time period, were handling things differently. That's true. Um, and also because, yeah, the you're you're more like, oh, there's demons over there? And you're like, oh, okay. Like, oh, demons. Like, what, what kind? Could you describe these demons? Yeah, exactly. They weren't, like, automatically rational, dis- skeptical disbelievers, uh, which was nice. And... Also, because of the quirks of the Call of Cthulhu rules, melee weapons work a lot better on some Call of Cthulhu monsters. So that Gladius, like, like, oh, holy hell, I'm yeah, actually, yeah. I'm actually doing shit here. <laughs> so, and also they had a pretty callous attitude towards human life because you're it was short. It was short and brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that's a good point. Histor- historical area, uh, uh, histor- hi- historical adventure, period pieces, I guess, plus. Uh, Cthulhu made uh, for an interesting so yeah you get this originality to it so uh, there's you know for me like my Tribes of Tokyo game just by making an espionage game but setting it in an exotic setting you know the under under seamy, seedy underbelly <laughs> of Tokyo uh, so it's like half Vice Magazine half uh, Speed Tribes you know half Yakuza mm-hmm. movies plus yeah so Yakuza movies gangster movies plus espionage plus vampires you're like oh shit you know players like, like, what oh. the fuck is going what the yeah. fuck man so there's that and um so those those are some of the advantages i can think of, of doing it yeah but you, yeah your your palette your you know plot palette is, brush is a lot wider yeah that, you know if you, if you combine some things but i mean there's some disadvantages too i mean i'm sure you've seen like games that become unbalanced because of that mm-hmm. you know like i think the re- like for example in ravenloft the reason why the the scenarios i i read that had this like these special rules like this shit this this guy totally ignores all the rules for monsters of this type and he's immune to everything and you can only kill him this way right, is because oh, otherwise the players would just fucking kill him in normal battle and he wouldn't be scary at all so it's unbalanced so and the and uh, but also but especially in a D and D players don't like that. Yeah, they're like like well like what, what do you mean like so he's immune to like eventually he's gonna is he just immune to everything? Well, uh, except for this one thing. Like oh, fuck it. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, well, well. Let me get. Are you gonna get punched my ticket for the railroad GM? Is that it? Is that it? Yeah. So it can be unbalanced. I mean, it can go both ways though. You know. Um, yeah. But I think another thing is uh, that that's like pro- we're mentioning horror comedy. Yeah, that that one. If it goes too far into one or the other, it's gonna well, one's gonna completely overwhelm the other in that case. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to do keep something scary, too much humor, like the monster attacks you. If everyone's laughing when that happens, yeah. So what? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if 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 there's no, you it, one undermines the other, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one overwhelms it. If you're just pulp badasses shooting everybody, and then you're like, uh uh-huh, we killed all the monsters, killed the cultists, then like it's not Cthulhu, you know. But if they're just totally killed by everything Cthulhu esque, then it's not really pulp, you know. So mm-hmm. who have to balance? It's it's, it's very it's, easy it's, for it's one. A, it's a delicate balance to maintain. Yeah, um, but I think the biggest problem is. Like, 
making sense of it. Like it's so easy for this shit to not make sense. Um, and because it just, you put in two concepts that don't necessarily mesh well together, then it just kind of devolves and like, how does that even work? If we're pulp guys, we can shoot our bullets at this thing and blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't make sense with this other element you've established earlier. Cause that's, you know, yeah. trying to mix two things. Um, I think I actually just read recently a blog post from uh, author Charles Strauss talking about he some of his first sci-fi novels, uh, Singularity Sky and Iron Sunrise. And they're space operas, but he was doing a hard sci-fi space opera in the sense that he like he basically if you have faster than light travel, you have time travel. You know, mm-hmm. that's just how it is. If you can go faster than light, you can go back in time. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um so how does that work? And how do you have a space opera where you have, you know, roughly human competitive civilizations scattered about the universe and they're all interacting with one another? And, you know, so what he came up with was uh, the Eschaton, which was this godlike being entity mm-hmm. that just said, like, all right, humanity, I'm just going to scatter you about the universe because I don't want you. You just figured out how to. Uh, you're on, I just realized you're on the path to developing faster than light travel. And if you develop faster than light travel, you can develop time travel. And if you develop time travel, you could destroy me by going to my past and wiping me out. So I don't like that. So he just spreads him out of the universe and says, Thou shalt not vi- violate causality within my uh, historic light cone. And they're like, okay, because they have no choice. (laughs) But he eventually, so he wrote two novels based on this premise, talking about all the shenanigans, space Mm -hmm. opera stuff. But in the second novel, he introduced uh, Remastered the Unborn God, another godlike entity that was going to compete with Eschaton. And then he realized, holy shit, I made a terrible mistake. Because how the fuck am I going to write how could I possibly have two godlike beings with time travel powers at war with each other? How would I even possibly understand how to write that? <laughs> so like, yeah. and that was just within one genre, but like you can get to that point. Like if I have Cthulhu and Thor fighting, who's going to win? Like, fuck my fantasy like Cthulhu a su- game. A is su- a- yeah. A superhero, a superhero call a Cthulhu game. Yeah, exactly. Does Superman punch Cthulhu into the sun? Yeah. How does that even can't does Superman even lose sanity? Like, can, does he have sanity? Yeah. Is he just fucking immune to that shit? Like, how does that even work? Um, so you get to that point where it just collapses. And it's I, I mean, I kind of got to that point with the Slender Man game a little bit. I mean, because I was throwing in so many elements from the old world of darkness. It was kind of like, yeah. Eh. Uh, I was adding Prometheans and changelings and vampires and mages. And, you know, it's just the old world of darkness was terrible about that. Like you cannot throw you threw too many things in and like, holy shit. Yeah. Right? I, I still enjoy. They actually one they created mortal, the protagonist, one of the rarest creatures in the world <laughs> of darkness. It's like, yeah. it's like, this is just a normal human being that has no con, no conception of any of the supernatural Plots that just surround him at all times. Yeah, exactly. Like, wow. I, I, it's just like, we thought we found a female somewhere in Boston. We were trying to hope to mate them, but it turns out she, it turns out she was a kinfolk mage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing you get to, uh, when you add it. And cause again, I consider every, 
game line within the world of darkness is separate subgenre mm-hmm. of horror. Because like vampire games are not supposed to be like mage games, you no. know. They they explore different themes, you know, <laughs> and they they go over different types of stories. So you could do a vampire mage game, you know, but just vampire and mage, like that would be interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. But like vampire Promethean mage, werewolf, you know, and werewolf, like fuck, you know, that just turns like in- so. It's essentially like we're trying to avoid Gehenna, save Gaia, reach Ascension. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. So. Uh, there's, and that, 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 the Promethean over there is just trying to turn into a human. I don't yeah, even know. No, but dude, he's, he's, why radi- are we mixing the dude, old but, and the new world of darkness? But dude, oh, he's God. radioacting up the whole place. <laughs> radioacting <laughs> up all the place. Um, I made that word up. You did. Uh, and that was it perfectly cromulent though. So yes, on the spot grammar. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you had some examples of doing this in your own games, right? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, once again, um, the sci- you know, the sci-fi, you know, Teenagers from Outer Space was really my kind of my first intro. Yeah, you know, comedy and comedy and basically sci-fi fantasy. And those go well. But essentially, I think you know, the, it's been my experience: the more genres you fit in, the less rules-heavy system you need. Yeah, because again, we just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, but you know, most World of Darkness games I was in, they the GM was trying to mix everything. Yeah, and they didn't last very long. I the well, I guess the I mean in uh, the Gargoyles game, which I used World of Darkness, I just I threw in all kinds of stuff, but I didn't I didn't focus on one thing because I uh, because the players were playing all kinds of different things, and I decided all right, I'm just gonna have to I, I'm just gonna have to ign- ignore a big part of the stuff in the books and just try to. Try to make it all kind of fit together. Well, you're trying to make it fit within the, the gargoyles canon. Mm-hmm. You weren't even try, like you but, were. But I still had, you know, like you know, Kane was the father of all vampires, and mm-hmm. I still or and you know. So really, you were doing two genres. One genre was gargoyles. The other mm-hmm. one was the world of darkness. Yeah. So those were the two genres you were putting. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get everything in both those universes to fit, and it helped because well, first the players really you know facilitated that. Yeah. They were they were very into it and quite knowledgeable of both settings yeah so we uh, i think we cooperated enough that it worked out just fine yeah and also one and once again i didn't say one you know one thing couldn't you know every one thing everything could be stopped by something else so no one was oh yeah well i'm the most powerful. no i'm the most powerful thing so it was rock paper scissors basically only with 30 types of things yeah vampire beats mage mage beats probably no anything could beat anything really yeah. If you, you know, it just depends on how you did it. Okay. Celerity there, there, beats. This. Yeah, but there were a few times when uh, there were disagreements. Like, I have to say, David's even mentioned this, but there's one time Aaron's, uh, Aaron's, um, Aaron had a mage character. Yeah. And David had a. Uh, Was he a techno wizard type? Yeah. <laughs> and David had a, a vampire character who had, you know, like really high celerity and potence, but. Aaron was trying to subdue him and just rolled like seven successes on something and yeah like you know thoroughly trapped David's very powerful vampire and David he tried to he argued it like no, no how could he stop me I'm I have all these disciplines I, he stopped you David yeah there you are <laughs> uh fair enough so it's, it, it essentially was you know no matter how powerful you got you could still be you could still be taken down right I had to, that's kind of like the thing I had to keep going like I don't care how powerful you get; you can still be taken down. Fair enough. 
Uh, and that's what in that kind of game you had to do, like right. especially World of Darkness, you really have to have to do that. Others, it's others, it's a lot easier. Right. I mean, I Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Everyone's human. Everyone's human. Like you might have a bigger gun, but yeah. Anything you still have. Maybe you could be killed. You could be so. killed by anything that can kill a human. Yeah, which is a, a lot. A lot of things. Yeah. Now, you can't even fly through space on the back of a Bayaki without dying. Yeah, without space meat. Without space meat, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have space meat, I mean, that goes without saying, though. So, <laughs> yeah, like, motherfucking space meat. Like, wait, I'm about to... Oh, hang on. Space meat. Yeah. Ah, much better. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, uh, these kind of games are really fun, but it's it's kind of a... You have to think they t- it's Well, it's like most games. It takes... It takes work and yet and planning. Yeah, I mean, if you're running setting a game up like that, I think you have to think about sort of mentally <laughs> playtesting at least, if that makes sense. You have to mm. sort of think about like what's the worst case, what's the worst uh, case scenario, and that's usually, I mean, for me, like especially if you're combining two game lines, like yeah. vampire and mage or whatever, you have to think what is the worst, most broken rule combo you could think of. So in game mechanic, game mechanics, or if you're coming up with house rules for this kind of shit, like what is the worst possible thing players can do with this new element? You know, uh, <laughs> oh wait, you can become invincible and do infinite numbers of da- uh, infinite number of damage on anyone per round. Oh well, I should not let you do that. You know yeah. that kind of thing. Um, I mean, for me, that's what I do. I, I I think about like what is the most broken thing that could happen. What is or not game mechanic wise and setting wise. You know, fluff wise. Um, I don't know what do you do when you're singing. Uh, normally, it's the uh, the bigger the bigger mallet. Yeah. Idea that if you, you know, that's I sent you to do that. No matter what kind of awesome, you know, horrible damage combo you can you can think up. Yeah. I'm the GM. I have way more resources than you, and I can come up with something that can smack you down. Yeah, I mean that that is possible. I kind of I I prefer not doing that because. The idea is it one you don't want to do grudge monsters where like you come up you you send in opposition literally just take out the PCs because they piss they you're you don't want it to be like GTA where it's like you've done bad things I don't approve of you get five stars you know they're they're just swarming and they all know where you are and they're all attacking you and I don't like that you know or like the super badass coming after you what I do because also if whoever your bigger hammer is. Theoretically, the players should have access to the same rules and resources, so they could do whatever the bigger hammer does. Does that make sense? No, it's well. One, you know, once again, yeah. I also yeah. Before well, before I drop the hammer, I also talk to them about it. No, yeah. you know, like hey, uh, yeah, yeah, this thing here. I'm again, like we're gonna need to put a kibosh on yeah. that. I think I think it's also you got to kind of think about what kind of story you want to tell. Like, what kind of what is this campaign going to be about? Is this and, you know, for me, for campaigns, I don't like trying to, like, this is what this is about. This is, like, the definitive thing. The players are, um, I want to posit a question or a ch- dilemma and, like, then see how the players respond to it. So, like, Tribes of Tokyo, it's like, what do you do is the, at this point in the campaign? What do you do when you you're get caught up in a conflict between forces and... You know, it's a, it's a, and it's almost a comedy of errors. It wasn't like you were the dedicated, you didn't start as dedicated vampire hunters and like you're going to fight these guys or these guys are terrorists and oh no, they're vampire terrorists or whatever. Yeah. You just like investigated. You went to work. It, it just blew up in your face. Yeah. Literally, we went to work one day. Yeah. And shit got bad real mm-hmm. quick and you don't know why. And now you're beginning to find out a little bit about why. And so that was a major theme is like it's not. 
you're it's not you don't have a mission you don't like you have you could just back away you've been offered chances to back away and so like and i think we're seriously considering some of you may and some of you may not so um you've seen that there these people are very evil and very horrific you know that they're they're killing people and they're doing terrible things and they're fucking vampires they're not human so there's that but on the other hand you're not a, are you a crusader or are you just going to let so that that for me that was a major major element of this was that you're not totally committed. It, are you committed? What do you do when you're presented with this? Do you walk away? Are you a bystander? Or are you just going to take charge? You know, are you going to get intervene? So for me, that was there from the beginning of the campaign that, that I wanted that in there and that was going to, and so I kind of structured the scenario. So, and everything. So it, it would reflect that. Um, and that's why I'm also doing the Japanese underworld because that kind of emphasizes this kind of like everybody's a little bit corrupt at least. There's nobody who's totally pure. Ever <laughs> even the even the police who don't take bribes, like they they have information. They could bust a lot more yakuza than they do, but they don't. They let the yakuza do business. They 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 let them exist, you know, because yeah, that's just how it is. And that kind of and that in, in some way helps keep the peace. Yeah, that that kind of like uh, so uh, that for me yeah. that's important. So like for I you, said, I, there, there's a, I think it was uh, the movie Last Man Standing. They said it's not like there's there there is always a gang. That's just the natural state of things. Yeah, but two gangs is when things get. So I want you to restore the balance. There should only be one gang. Right. But no, uh, there's always a gang. So yeah. So for you, when you're doing a campaign that especially you're mixing genres, like I'm doing. Gangsters, Yakuza, and vampire. Well, I'm technically, well, I, I don't know. Nice Black Agent, I consider the vampire conspiracy thing a, spe- a specific subgenre. So, really, it's gangsters, the Yakuza, or the Japanese underworld mm-hmm. plus that. So, those are the two genres I'm doing. Uh, what about you when you're doing this? Uh, when like, I do that, I actually kind of. I mean, I think about the themes yeah. first. I think about the, the themes the same as you. Yeah. But I don't, dis- I don't decide what I emphasize until the players decide. Okay. Because I might, I might have, you know, things planned one way, but they might go a totally different way. Mm hmm. You know, uh, actually, just like remember the the Ga- Lady Gaga 2.0 game, right? I didn't know if you're gonna go more, you know, just focus on make focus on making the show go, or you know, take out take out the guys that are there or whatever. I didn't know what you were gonna do, right? So I I held off on what I had. I planned stuff for everything, but I just yeah. held off and throwing it out there until I fe- realized where you were going. Okay, it's the same thing with that, you know. Like when I was mixing, you know, World of Darkness or Gargoyles, I wanted to see, all right, where are the players going to go? Mm-hmm. Do they want to more focus on one or the other? Okay. And once I once I had that, I had some stuff planned down, but not extensively. But once I realized where they were going, then I could plan further. Okay. That makes sense. Because yeah, um, I think the players are going to be naturally drawn more towards one thing than the other. One genre, one type yeah. of story than the other. I mean, they'll they'll take advantage of the elements of all of them, but there's yeah. going to be one they primarily go to. I don't know. I think, um, I think, I think there is. I don't know. Sometimes I th- I see players that just like the concept as it, like the 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 mashup between mm-hmm. them two. Like I, you know, I think Caleb's adapted to this uh, the tribes of Tokyo very well because he really likes playing the very Japanese, very Machiavellian, yeah, uh, old experienced <laughs> agent. But he also like would kill the vampires. And of course, uh, I'm playing a young kid who doesn't give a crap about yeah. Any of that. So it'll be very interesting uh, to find out. Um, any other thoughts on this? Hmm. 
I think, I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting topic, uh, on mixing genres, but I think a lot of players, you know, GMs will, will sort of figure that out or have already had some experience doing it, but it, it's interesting to reexamine yeah. this. And actually, sometimes you find you mix genres out of even realizing you're doing it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of popular RPGs are basically genre mashups of this kind of thing. Uh, and you're just kind of trying to, to, to put them together. So, again, like Nice Black Agent is literally vampires plus espionage, you know. So... And that becomes its own genre, and it just goes on and on and on. So genre mashups are fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they make the best games. I think, I, to my opinion, just because they always have more to do, players have more to think about, mm-hmm. and you have and you have more. You I have think more certainly until well, I, personally, I think it's sort of like in your your stage, like how experienced you are in the game. If you're new to gaming, dungeon crawls are fun as hell. Like if you've mm-hmm. never tried it before, just the just the the basic stuff or call Cthulhu like a a straight up call Cthulhu mystery like that's fun like by itself. But like once you've done like ten dungeon crawls <coughs> and you've been through massive Nine Lotha, you're hungry for more. You're hungry for something different. Mm-hmm. You're decadent. You've burned out. You need to get to the hard stuff. So <laughs> so we're basically yeah. I'm saying I'm comparing you to yeah, drug addicts. So eventually you're gonna find yourself like Frank Cotton in Hellraiser. Yeah. At the, at the GM was going, what's your pleasure, sir? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm comparing us to drug addicts. So that's that's the thing we're. I'm comparing us to Hellraiser. I don't think anybody listening to this would disagree. To no, especially if you're listening to this. I mean, that's a sign. That's a that's yeah. You're well, already what, what, you're well, in it's deep. Like, yeah, role playing isn't it is an addiction. It takes up a lot of your time and your life and costs money. Yeah, not an addiction at all. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I'm sorry, my folks. I'm sorry, master. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, Tom, you do not have a letter. I do not. But I'm, I want to talk about. Uh, well, we I have, have a thing. I well, we have a thing, about. yeah. Yeah. Um, so right when you come back, I'll be talking about Grimoires, A History of Magic Books. Uh, it's a nonfiction book I read. It's This is more in the shout-out because I think uh, – so anyways, we'll get into that when I when we come back. Uh, then we'll have – we will have a couple of shout-outs. Uh, and then, of course, the No Evil Fan Contest um, and then a sh- and an anecdote. So we'll be back. Stay tuned. That you see that someone's carved your name into the tarnished and we're back all right you yes yeah we are <laughs> we, uh, we said we were gonna be back <clears throat> and we are so um i recently finished a book that i've had for a while but i just last month i decided i'm actually gonna finish reading it uh, it's called grimoires a history of magic books it's by owen davies uh and it's a non-fiction book about the history of magic books and it's a fascinating read, and I like to talk about a couple of different things. The first thing is, you know, magic books, grimoires, are kind of one of these symbols or icons that you just see used over and over and over again in games and movies and things yeah. like that as a plot device or yeah. as an icon. And yeah, Necronomicon. Right. Well, even things like, oh, Mal- here's... Malleus Maleficarum. Right. Well, I'm thinking just like in video games, like, oh, in Diablo 3, there's a tome of jewel crafting that gives you a bonus to this. Mm-hmm. Or there's a tome that raises your stats in D&D. Or there's these these books of magic are really common things in movies, TV, uh, video games, role playing, and <coughs> we don't know 
and the Necronomicon, of course. And we kind of, a lot of gamers will know the Necronomicon comes from H.P. Lovecraft, but where did H.P. Lovecraft get his ideas? And it turns out he actually kind of made it up. He, he just kind of had vague ideas about it. He actually didn't know much about folklore or, or the <coughs> occult. Uh, so he got most of his stuff from fantasy, you know, mythology, um, Knights of a Thousand and One Tales. So, um, for me to read an actual history from an actual historian about this was just fascinating. I mean, we don't know enough about these things. Like, right. you know, another thing, like, for example, we see like treasure chests being used as icons for you know, shit like that. And like the treasure, we, nobody is used a fucking treasure chest for actually holding shit since like hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Like we don't use that anymore. Or like even like icons on your computer screen, like, you know, the save icon is a three and a quarter, three and a half inch floppy disk as you're yeah. like, we don't or fucking the, use it, floppy disks. Uh, or the task in progress is an hourglass. Yeah, so we have this process of mystification where these icons and symbols that we're so used to don't actually have any meaning attached to our actual lives. They're just a thing that it becomes abstracted. And um, so this is kind of my unmystification of it. So Grimoire talks about the history of magic books from ancient times to Lovecraft mm-hmm. and the modern era. And it's an excellent, excellent read. I recommend it to everybody, you know, it's about 280 page. It's 283 pages before the um, notes and the bibliography, <laughs> which are excellent. Um, and it goes, it basically there's there's a lot of fascinating material in here that you never think of because the thing is like grimoires in fiction are always presented as these like secret leather bound well they're secret and they're like full of cosmic truths and they're burned and they're important and they're just like oh the necronomicon bound in human flesh or even bound in human flesh but they're like in in the story uh or there are things like the book of shadows or even like um books of holy magic or whatever but anyways they're they're important they're full of truth and in historical speaks in in history like they're basically written by con artists who lie about who wrote them and they're just full of bullshit to try and sell to superstitious people who especially in ancient medieval times were desperate for anything that could cure any of the numerous medical problems that they had uh, or help them find treasure like treasure hunting for example was a huge problem up until like maybe a hundred years ago people would use these books of magic to cast spells to help them find buried treasure which they believe was fucking everywhere it's like the the lotto back then they just like yeah. oh god i need to find money yeah and pirates and bandits pirates and bandits and in ancient in, civilization in ancient like in the new world and in the old world you know obviously there are a lot of wars and dead kings and shit like that so um and even all, all the way up to the 1920s and 30s there were like uh, voodoo practitioners, hoodoo, which is different from voodoo, I found. Uh, and like, for example, the and, and they're just con artists. The people who write them uh, were just like some may they may believe it or not, but they just make shit up, and that's all. And they would blatantly steal from one another you know like the sixth and seventh book of moses for example was just copied over and reused in a dozen different books and people dozens of different printers would use it over and over and over again um so like one of my favorite parts of the book is i talk about this guy black herman who was uh an african-american uh magician from the 20s uh he died like in the 30s and he was like a stage magician but he actually like wrote books of magic like and 
uh, very simple stuff like everything from magic tricks to how to do your horoscope, how to read your dreams, and how to cast a curse on somebody. <laughs> and so just like all this kind of random shit, and people <laughs> ate it up. But like, here's what I love: he in in he wrote all this BS about oh I went to the Zulu kingdoms and learned magic from them. I went to the Orient and learned magic from them. Uh, and here's what London said about me. Uh, we hate to give. We hated to give him up. While Paris uttered messianically, "He is the first and the last." And then the people, the good people of Columbus, Ohio, <laughs> said, "It is more fun to see Herman than it is to see a tail, a barrel of monkeys, with their tails chopped off." <laughs> like <laughs> wrong. I'd, I'd pay to see that. I, I yeah no. It's more fun to see that. It's just no, like I yeah. want to see a barrel of monkeys. I want to see a barrel mon- with their tails chopped off. That's hilarious. So I just love the idea that this was um, a thing back then. And so you, you when you read about the actual history, like there's so many gameable ideas in it. Uh, one talking about like what like back in the Middle Ages, people thought Toledo, Spain, was just this hotbed of occult activity and there are all these cultists and there were like literally magic caves where people learn satanic practices and learn magic from Satanists and shit like that. And so yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, how about a historical Cthulhu game set in Toledo, Spain, where you're yeah. like, because apparently it was very cosmopolitan back then. Jews and Arabs and Christians would all yeah. hang out and talk to each other. Now it's like Sedona, Arizona now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the mystical hotspot. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, uh, yeah, the kind of the, the mystical yeah. spots of the world kind of change. Yeah, it's Sedona because it's vortexes, I believe. Oh yeah, exactly. Not magical caves, you know. No, used to be Salem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Salem, obviously. Um, but then you have the thing is these magical books, like in the Middle Ages, people were it was a crime to have these books because it's heresy, right? And but the books were always geared towards their audience, and they were always geared towards quick, rich, get quick, rich schemes or. Quick uh, fixes for their problems, medical illnesses, uh, you know, or you know, medical problems, illnesses, that kind of thing. Fixing crops, fixing cattle, um, and then like in the the in Norwegian in Scandinavia, they had these things called black books that like military officers used, and they had spells for like getting the the favor of your uh, superior officer. Like literally, there was a spell to like make your boss like you. Like so, they always geared towards their audiences. So they're and uh, these books were often uh, printed cheaply and you know so poor people could buy them and they always like lied about where they were printed like books in Spain would be like printed in Philadelphia because they were just like they, they consider crime um, and so like yeah they were considered crimes I- in Europe during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance for being heresy <laughs> but starting towards the Enlightenment they were still a crime but because it was fraud like right. <laughs> Um, oh, and like in the, in the, the court of Louis, uh, uh, the 15th, you know, in Versailles, uh, there was a whole scandal about people, magicians, because they also sold poison to rich people and rich people love their poisons. Uh, so there's a whole scandal about that. And there, like another book, like the long lost friend, which I actually own a copy of, uh, is a book, uh, for, Dutch Pennsylvania farmers and well, although it spread all over the country uh, as farmers and rural people needed like here's how to get your how to find a lost calf here's how to enchant your rifle so that anything it shoots dies you know like <laughs> here's to make sure a tornado doesn't hit you uh it might I actually I, I, I flipped through it here's how to protect you and 
that kind of thing. And so you have all these books. Um, there's actually the there were uh, there was actually uh, these powwow men, which were Dutch Pennsylvania like uh, cunning folk magicians who were hired to you know cast spells on farms and cows and shit like that. Like farmers, like my crops are doing bad. Can you do something about it? And they're like, ah, oh, sure, okay, give me some money. Yeah, give me some money, and I'll, I'll magic up some shit for you. Um, but there's this one guy, I can't remember his name. He literally thought another powwow dude was like casting hexes on him. And so he, so this first guy, um, decided to go steal the, uh, the, this person, this other powwow guys, um, long copy of long lost friend. And so he, so this one powwow man and his two friends snuck in this guy's house, tried to knock him out, but they killed him. And then they stole his magic book. So it was called the powwow murders. And this happened in the 1920s, by the way. Wow. Um, and this is like a whole big thing where like during the twenties and thirties, people are like, Oh God, these super stupid farmers are believing in this magical superstition. Nonsense. We should ban that book, you know, and just get rid of it. And, so there's a whole thing about that. And in Germany, they had the same thing. Like in the 1950s and 60s, they're like, God damn, these stupid people and their stupid superstitions. We should ban these books. <laughs> but they were like, eh, it's kind of, you know. Remember what happened the last time we tried to ban books? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So that kind of fizzled out. But um, <laughs> a lot of these books also aren't even satanic. They like are things about like invoking God and angels to do your work. Like here's a spell to summon an angel who will protect you from the ghosts who protect buried treasure. Cause you know, those pirates, they always killed people. So their ghosts would protect the treasure, but here's an angel. He'll do that. Like, that was the whole thing. Um, there's really even, books for angel summoner. Yeah. Books for angel summoning. That, that was a big thing was to, cause you could like, even the people who <laughs> read these books, they're like, it, the church has its heresy, but the church just doesn't want me to summon angels. Cause they're trying to, they keep want, me down. they want that power. Yeah. So they were conspiracy theorists back then. And it's the same kind of magical thinking. And it's just fascinating shit. Um, and so they like even Benjamin at one point they quote Benjamin Franklin, who is like in one of his almanac or one of his newspapers, like these goddamn poor people are spending too much time digging up, looking for buried treasure. They're bankrupting their families by looking for buried treasures. Like, God damn it. Well, not like that. I, I can't, I can't remember exactly what page it is. Like, on. like, like ye people are doing bad things. Yeah. Literally. They were just like, stop wasting your time with this shit. Uh, and there was, a, what, okay. The most fascinating thing was that everybody thought magic came from far away places, exotic kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So like here in America and in Europe, it was like magic from the East, the Orient, India and China and shit like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But in those countries in like the far East or Africa and the third and Jamaica and the Caribbean, they thought magic came from America and Europe. <laughs> so like these people, there were, there's actually one company called the DeLorence publishing company that came up with this idea of like publishing cheap books of magic and then they sold them to the third world. So people got these books, like even their book catalog was considered magical by some people in Nigeria and Jamaica. And so they would order like the six and seven book of Moses from them and shit like that. Uh, and it got to the point where so many people and voodoo practitioners were incorporating the, this Western hermetic magic that was made up in the 19th century into their voodoo that like, and it just got to be such a problem to the Jamaican government that the Jamaican government banned all books from the DeLorence Publishing Company. And that's a law that's still in effect today. You cannot import books from the DeLorence Publishing Company. No no books <laughs> of magic from them. 
Uh, and that that's still in the books uh, in in the Jamaican customs. Nice. So, so what does this mean for gaming? Um, one is, I mean, it, it makes you rethink of how to use grimoires in you know mm-hmm. books like Call of Cthulhu. The books, the difference between the Call of Cthulhu universe and our own is that in Call of Cthulhu, there actually are scary things in beyond time and space that will do crazy shit. And if you say these words, sh- crazy shit will happen. Um, but and so that that kind of you know, and then there's diaries and journals and things like that. But you have all these cheap books of magic, which are made by charlatans out to make a quick buck to exploit the superstitions of poor yeah. people more or less or rich people. Um, so how do you, you, you use this <laughs> cheap books of magic that are cheaply printed. Uh, they spread like wildfire. Cause I think uh, that would mm-hmm. be an unintended. So that'd be an interesting thing to, to like, they would freely reuse material from each other. Like there's no copyright. Like no, no one would like, Oh, that's my book of magic. That's copyright. You can't, you can't do that. Cause like, they were always like, eh, it's kind of a, sh-. it's like porn, you know, it's kind of a shady business. They don't yeah. want to like be associated with it. So you, you have different uses of it, especially in, um, like a, a, a horror game where you can like freely incorporate like it's half Cthulhu mythos shit and half just utter bullshit. You know, yeah. it's just some like some guy gets the real Necronomicon, copies some shit wrong, and then puts it in his cheap Necronomicon knockoff, and then promises it's the original. Um, so like you know the 1977 Necronomicon. That's yeah. like, Oh, this is the real Nec. H.P. Lovecraft was really telling the truth, by the way, and it's all just made up bullshit. Like that's actually in the tradition of Grimoire. So it's just making up bullshit and selling it. So um, there's if you're running a game that incorporates Grimoire in any kind of sense, like read this book and you'll get a dozen good ideas at least out of it uh, in terms of how they're prosecuted. Like oh, another thing is like treasure hunting. Like there's a huge obsession over treasure hunting back in the Middle Ages, uh, and the Renaissance all the way up until the Enlightenment. Like, oh God, buried treasures everywhere. So like, and I've never, I've, I haven't heard much about this before. Have you? No, I haven't. Yeah. So like, you could do games based on that. Like, a monk comes up to you and like, hey guys, I found a spell that'll help me get buried treasure. And it turns out to be a wild goose chase, or in a D and D game, it leads you to a dangerous dungeon. Or like you know the guy, in, or it would be really funny is if you did the the D and D a D game where an, an old man in a tavern gives you a quest like go to this place, there's buried treasure there, and like you be like oh fine oh there's an it's full of orcs we'll kill all the orcs out and they fight through and there's just nothing there they come back to the old man and it's like when I read the book's instruction it said that they were there and like they just read like god damn it this isn't real magic you son of a bitch you know they slap them around mm-hmm. so. I think that's the thing is like even in a even a world yeah. where magic is real, there would still be fake magic, or it leads you to the tomb of Charles Dexter Ward or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, so there's there's a ton, a ton of good ideas in this book, and it's makes you think about like how the like from the the fictional trope of grimoires being books of truth, cosmic knowledge. Oh my God, man, secrets man was not meant to know to the reality of this just being whatever people could make up and sell, pass off as authentic magical lore <coughs> to superstitious people desperate for, you know, medicine mm-hmm. uh, is just fascinating. And uh, just how they freely stole from each other to incorporate random nice. bullshit. Yeah. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think it's an awesome idea. Uh, or I think there's just a lot of cool material in this book. Um, so uh, devil's books and black books. And well, I'll be taking a plane ride to Seattle yeah. next, this week. So maybe I'll ask to borrow that from you to read on the plane. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, all right. So, 
when we come back, uh, shout outs. Uh, our and, lesser shout outs. Shout out, yeah. And then the No Evil Fan Contest and then an anecdote. Sounds so. good. And we're back. Um, and the, the whole reason I, I forgot to mention the whole reason I wanted to talk about this book for at length and talk about ideas uh, in it is I think, you know, we talk about write books and how they can be inspiring in role playing mm-hmm. games, stuff like that. We, I think we kind of people tend to just like, I mean, fiction's great, obviously. I love fiction, uh, but I don't think we don't read enough nonfiction books. You yeah. know, like I think if you're a game designer, you're a game master or a player or whatever, I think nonfiction shit is just as inspiring, if not more so, than fiction. Like, you should start, like, reading interesting fiction books. I think one of... I mean, I'm going to read a book about bureaucracies this year. uh, Because... I've I've got a lot of stuff from Jane's military books. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think they're even coming out with a Jane's book of Nazi occult stuff. Or, no, that's Osprey. Uh, Kenneth Hyde's coming out Mm -hmm. with one about the Nazis and the occult. So nonfiction shit is just as interesting as fiction and useful. I mean, it's even more useful. Now, did, you know, you have a book about like bomb shelters from the fifties and, Oh yeah. Yeah. Several books actually. Uh, one of which I've, I mentioned survival city, which is about cold war architecture, nuclear bunkers and silos that inspired survival city. The one shot I ran and I was in that one. yeah. And, uh, some of the slender man material, but I think, if you're a game master, if you're not read, if you're reading fiction, that's great. But you should read. Don't just read fiction. I think is what I'm saying. Pick up some good nonfiction books and try and keep you know expand your horizons. Right. Like I mean, I wish I had read this earlier. I mean, it's it's really good. Anyways, so grimoires. Um, no shout outs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you had one. I have one. Uh, recent. A lot of times, I like to go. Uh, I like to go take a steam bath when I when games are getting me down. And by that, I mean I get to I go on Steam and look <laughs> for games that are new. And how do you take a bath because you buy so many yeah. or you buy them? Yeah. But I recently, uh, because Sim City, the new Sim City, has so infuriated me. <laughs> I recently purchased Cities XL. Yeah. And it's. Um, Obviously, graphically, not nearly as awesome as SimCity is. I will admit that. But it works. <laughs> it, it's a city-building game, and it actually works. So I'm like... That's oh, weird. Yeah. Like, oh, shit, yeah. I remember games when they used to work. <laughs> that was great. You're not bitter or anything, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I might... I must admit, I might be just a tad bitter. Tad bitter. But right. now, this game, it's... Um, I mean, I love uh, Sim games. I I've, been, I've loved them since the original Sim City, like or the old Sim Earth, Sim Ant, yeah. Sim Tower, which was it started just from a like a it was a Japanese uh, elevator simulator is what it started off. Yeah, as. I remember. I think I, I read an article about that talking about how like this is a mistake in game design. Like, don't just like brand <laughs> your shit because you can. Like, it was a mistake to make an elevator simulator into a tower game. The thing is, it was kind of fun, I thought. Yeah, but it's not... Yeah. But it's not for everyone. But no, uh, Cities XL, it's a great city simulator. You know, it's... um, There's there's a slight learning curve, but it's over pretty quick. And it's it's actually a really... I think a really successful game. And I recommend anyone who likes to... And it's really cheap. It's only like $10 on uh, Steam. Okay. So it's, it's... very little money, and the maps are gigantic. 
Nice. And you can literally there are and you can literally have hundreds and hundreds of cities on your on your in your world. Nice. Nice. And you can interconnect them. Ooh. Yeah. It's a it's only a single player game, but you don't have to be online to play it. <laughs> there's no DRM. Well, no, if it's on Steam there is DRM. But Steam. there's no always online DRM. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fuckers. <laughs> well, you don't have to wait for uh to get on their servers or whatever. There's no waiting no, time. Yeah. No. Yeah. And the, and their traffic simu- simulations work. You don't have like 13 fire trucks driving in a circle when there's one fire. Wow. That's <coughs> wow. Um first off I'd like to mention of course Daft Punk has a new album out Random Access yeah. Memories but they they don't need our help. Aaron were here they he tell us bunk. all about it. Yes. Uh, but another electronic duo is coming out with an album that's slightly less known Boards of Canada. Uh, and they do, they're Canadian and they do these creepy kind of ambient music that's very appropriate for creepiness. <laughs> um, and I don't know how to put it. I mean, it's, it's not quite as creepy as like number stations. Uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty like late night listening stuff. Anyways, they have a new album called Tomorrow's Harvest Up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, they have a new single out, a new video for their single called Reach from the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their video is just like last footage of this guy. I don't know. It's it's weird and creepy and like oh shit. So I'm a fan of them. That's cool. Um, next up, I'd like to mention something. Caleb and I and Tom actually obviously started uh, watch reading or uh, watching uh, Attack on Titan. Yeah, which is an uh, manga and anime series. Totally, uh, perfectly happy go lucky. Oh my god! Uh, the manga series has been out for a couple of years. The anime series has just started. There's like three episodes. If you're on Crunchyroll, you can watch them. Uh, it's coming out weekly, and basically the idea is: imagine a world with Renaissance level technology, except for some crazy steampunk gear, um, in some places, so cannons mm-hmm. and muskets, that kind of thing. And there's these titans, which are humanoid. They're giants. giants, but they're mindless and they eat people. And they basically the rest of humanity that survives uh, lives in walled in a walled country, you know. And then one day a giant titan shows up and breaks, punches a hole in the wall so that the smaller titans can get in. And oh my god! Ah! So it's very horrific because they don't. Neither the anime or the manga shies away from showing the titans eating people. Which is pretty horrific, and then you're it's sort of, so it's it's a little like Walking Dead in terms of like it's drama and these people dealing in a terrible survival horror situation, and how do they deal with it? And uh, they have of course some crazy steampunk fighting gear called 3D maneuver gear, mm-hmm. which is basically Spider Man <coughs> with steam powered gas powered Spider Man gear with like launching ropes and or cables and grapple hooks so they can swing from right. place to place. Um, so it's really cool. I don't know. I've, I've, I'm sure I've seen uh, three episodes of it. Yeah, what do you think so far? Well, it yeah, it's I definitely yeah definitely it's to me it's kind of got a Lovecraft feel to it because it's like horror, that kind of horror does. There's no rhyme. Or, there seems to be no rhyme or reason for what they do. Right, and we can't understand them at all. Yeah, they just do what they do. And yeah. in any case, it's eating us. Which is pretty true of a lot of mythos creatures. They just do what they do. We can't understand them. And they eat us. Yeah, it is pretty horrific. Um, So the manga, there's a fan translation free online. 
that's uh, much further than the anime series, but the anime series is pretty, so uh, pretty horrific. Ah, anyways, um, and then of course Grimoires, which I mentioned before, and then finally, uh, I'd like to mention a Let's Play series that I've started watching. Uh, it's Let's Play Deadly Premonitions. Mm-hmm. Deadly Premonitions is basically a sort of was a budget. Uh, Xbox 360 title has now been re-released for PS3 and director's cut uh, and it's, it's it's a very weird interpretation of Twin Peaks where you have an FBI agent who is investigating the murder of a young girl in this small town and so this guy is playing through is doing it hard at 100 and getting 100% he's doing all the side missions doing everything else I own the game but I, I, I like I realized it's better if I just watch him play through the whole game and then I could see all of the content instead of me wasting 30 hours not right. getting all of it. So uh, <coughs> it is pretty fascinating so far because this guy, York, Francis York Morgan, please call me York. Everyone calls me York. He talks to you, the player. It like you get you like, oh, you're supposed to go to the lumber mill to investigate the murder. You get out of your car on the way in there. It's like, Zach, we're supposed to go to and he calls you Zach. And he he just says, Zach, we're supposed to investigate the lumber mill, but if you want to do something here, I'm with you. And then, like, who are you? <laughs> like, yeah, he literally talks to Zach, you, the player, while you're t- while he's talking to other people. Zach, should we go investigate this? Uh, what? Well, look, the sheriff's acting like a king. You know, he's he's oh, we've met the local king, uh, and <laughs> he's like right there, like the sheriff's <laughs> right there. <laughs> and it's like uh, they even brings up like, well, don't ask me about Zach. Zach and I have been through the lumber mill, but don't ask me about Zach. That's my secret. You know, like <laughs> it's so goddamn crazy. <laughs> and you do all these side missions, and it's just a very. It's one of those games that I'm like I've been watching a lot of Let's Play material, <coughs> and I've I've enjoyed it thoroughly. But goddamn, it is yeah. a crazy goddamn game. Um, so that that that's my last thing. Um. So I, have you even heard of it? Deadly no, like, I, I have not. Yeah, well, it's only console only. There's no PC version. So, yet. but I don't think there will. Well, be. I, I'm just gonna say yet. Okay. Well, technically, you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, b- before we get to the anecdote, of course, I don't want to skimp over this. Um, we had a no evil fan creation contest, and holy crap, was there some good stuff in it? There was, and we we have five posters left, so we'll mail out five po- posters. Uh, but we're going to, uh, on the No Evil Camp fan campaign uh, page on the actual play uh, website, we'll have a listing of all the fan art and fan creations at the bottom after all the episodes are listed. So uh, everyone's entry will be immortalized oh, on yes. the RPBR website. And I want to thank everybody who entered yeah, in there. Yeah, seriously, there you were, guys. There were, it was really hard to come down to the final five. and But the final five were really good. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll, let's just brief, briefly mention each of them. Uh, first off, we have a story uh, called Last Rites. Uh, oh, Bartleby. Yes, uh, <laughs> which is about Bartleby after the events of the No Evil campaign. Uh, at, while, you know, and No with, one quits Firewall. No one quits Firewall. That is a very excellent way of putting it. Uh <laughs> And it's a really well-written story. And Caleb, I think, said that it could like it would qualify as like fiction that could be used for Eclipse Phase, the yeah. game itself. So I mean, it's it's excellent, excellent stuff, excellent material. It's uh, about eleven pages long. Um, so that that was good. 
Um, <coughs> I know you probably want to talk about the Ode de Preston. The Ode de Preston, yes. yes. I mean, the only thing the, the only thing I'd say is he didn't have a mustache, but whatever. The rest of it, God, son of a bitch. Well, well tell, tell the... It's essentially a cologne that Xperia put out based, yeah. based on their intellectual and actual property. Yeah. Preston Crowley. Well, I mean, the actual entry though. Is, yeah, it's it's the, it's like it's like a cologne commercial. Yes, it's an it, actual video. It's an actual video using a doll and a plush octopus. Yes, and some very like very good, very appropriate cologne kind of music. Yeah. It's very Calvin Klein, like oh, like sirens wailing in the distance. Mm-hmm. Not like siren, like <coughs> mythical creatures. Not like yeah, please aren't. Uh, but yeah, it was awesome and. Uh, so congratulations on that. Very uh, much so. Then uh, I want to mention the Luna comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I believe Review Cultists in our forums did that. Um, <laughs> we'll have, of course, all the the names of the people who did it uh, are their usernames uh, listed on the 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 entries. Um, but this this is a Luna comic. This is a comic about the the boss fight in episode I believe eleven mm-hmm. nine or. 11. Uh, where we find an ex- massive uh, a grouping of exurgents, and we just fucking go, go fight it. And it's it's a it's a short comic, but it kind of like highlights all our characters. Bartleby going nuts, uh, Preston getting infected, mm-hmm. uh, and Cyrock being Cyrock. You know, uh, it that was very awesome um i'm sure you did want to talk about the flash animation yeah the uh little little views of all of our characters with our muses yes and uh as much as i like katie thulu for preston i gotta say the the bartleby one with the march <laughs> hair t-boarding somebody in t- in symbol space yes yeah, well uh well, Bartleby sits on a stack of on a crate of stacks. Yeah, of cortical stacks. Yes, you start collecting cortical stacks once, and you just people think that's all you do. <laughs> like, ah, I was young then; uh, I didn't know better. Uh, so yeah, that was that was awesome. And um, then uh, and then finally uh, for the fifth one was the No Evil Song, mm. which was very haunting and very well composed, very well like. Uh, I, I'm not much of a music critic, but yeah. like I, I don't know what terms you use. But you know, guitar, vocals, kind of haunting, kind of mm-hmm. creepy, mm-hmm. kind of like good lyrics too, very oh, yeah. appropriate. Uh, so yeah, very good stuff. And I mean, there were a lot of notable entries too that we just didn't have enough posters to go around. Uh, the uh, release the Kraken intern story that was good. That was good. Uh, the uh, actually the long game, which was one of the earlier entries, entries which was talking about the fate of. Uh, a doctor, uh, a psychosurgeon who's asked to interrogate another uh, medical professional uh, <laughs> in cycle space, uh, simul space, psychosurgery, torture. Um, and and John th- dies in the end. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, then uh, the poems, Jesus, mm-hmm. the, the comic, the other comics, like the intervention of Bartleby yeah. and uh, the radio Bartleby. show. The, the radio, radio show, ad. yeah, the radio serial ad, that was really good. Those were really chosen, well-chosen quotes from us. That was really mm. good. Uh, someone actually interspiced the planning of the game. Of with the, what actually happened. With the, the Luna heist. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing some, um, but there were, yeah. You guys, we got some talented people in our We do. Oh, forums. the the uh, Max Jax's uh, muse going nuts, mm-hmm. like the video of that looping around, that was really cool. Uh, some of the other art, 
uh, yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff. Thank you all for doing that. Uh, we'll probably have to do this for New Arcadia, maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe something. I don't know. Um, this was special. So uh, I want to get that out of the way and 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 immortalize them on the episode. So finally, uh, we have the anecdote. The anecdote. The anecdote. And we this week uh, we play tested a scenario. By the immortal. Adam Scott Glancy. Yes. Now, we can't go into too many details because... It's an official thing. It's an official thing. Uh, well, it's going to be released by the Unspeakable Oath. Yeah. Uh, as a scenario. So they're working on it right now. And, in fact, I need to send in my playtest notes. Um, <coughs> but by the time this gets up, uh, we'll be able to, to release that. Uh, so, in this episode... I don't want to spoil anything. I mean, it's, set, I mean, it's publicly been known that it's set in 1991 in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, I'll just mention that the characters are military. Mm-hmm. And basically, we're all in this place. And we're all playing. And except mythos Ar- things are happening. Mythos things are happening. And they're very bad. Aaron's character has a very powerful explosive with him. And... Part of his mission is if things go too bad to detonate the explosive to make sure nothing even worse can happen. So, but Aaron doesn't tell anybody about it. Now, to be fair, Aaron had <laughs> orders not to tell anybody about it, but the mission changed. Yeah, the mission changed. And Aaron, being Aaron, just went off on his own and activated, set the timer for the explosive. Um, for his <laughs> but yeah. then he just like of course he was surrounded by other guys so yeah. everyone the other where, pcs were all there with him and yeah. everyone knew so what once we realized he was gone we all realized where he had gone yeah well there weren't more many places he could go mm-hmm. um and so aaron activates the bomb sets the timer and then is like wait caleb before yeah let me explain and so Caleb is just like, I shoot him. I put 10 rounds into his head. And you're like, okay. Uh, yeah, Aaron is dead. So uh, <laughs> he, he kills him. And that's the thing is like Aaron just probably could have gotten out of it and probably could have gotten their back if he had just explained what he was doing before he went and did it. But no, he did it. Just boom. I've got to do it. And this is after he'd been threatened multiple times by yeah. other characters. Like, I will shoot you if you go off and don't tell me what you're doing, you know, or if, like explicitly. Mm-hmm. But he still does. <laughs> and I don't know. What do you talk? Uh, I think Aaron has a hard time working with a team. Yeah. He yeah. really does. That's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, He's not a team player. No, I mean it's entertaining. Uh, we did record the game, uh, mm-hmm. so whenever the new issue of the Oath goes up, uh, we'll post that. This will go on the Unspeakable Oaths uh, website, by the way, or their their podcast. Right. Um, and so that that will be good. And but I I just I didn't know what to say. Like like all right, you you did it. PVP, yeah, you you you, uh, you set the timer <laughs> and the the ex, the explosive will go off. Well, my, my, what got to me is that then after he did it, like like let me explain what I just did. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean that that's a 50-50 chance of working. Like Well, yeah. this was Caleb. So, yeah. it was more like more like 20-80. Yeah. But yeah, not zero. I mean, it was it was a gambit. He gambled. He's not very good at gambling. <laughs> 
He did yeah, not, I guess not. He did not put any points into that skill. No, he did not. So um, Aaron did not survive the end of that scenario. Um, but he was he was not alone. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I know this is vague, but I just remember we're not supposed to talk about it at all. So I'm getting kind of vague about it. I'll, I'll but that, sure. the moral is it has nothing to do with the actual game or itself. It's just it's what he did. Yeah, it's just like, God, just, why do you not... Tell, Stick with the group. Or tell them what you're doing or try, like, you could ignore your orders just because they tell you. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, really. Once mythos starts happening, yeah. just throw your orders right out the window. Yeah, do what is going to help you survive. So, yeah. Um, I mean, really, if you just call up, it's like, sir, mythos is happening. Oh, then forget everything we just told you. Yeah, you, you fucked that shit up. You do what you you want. Uh, you do what you got to. Um, so, anyways, that, that was the thing. That, that was the thing that happened. Uh, Sigh. <laughs> uh, well, and this week, like uh, yesterday, uh, Aaron played in your game. You're probably testing a Call of Cthulhu scenario, and yeah. Aaron fell quite a few spot hidden tra- checks. He ran, did ran into some traps, so that wasn't like deliberately him just going off on his own. That was just like bad. It's luck. more like I'm going to be heroic and take point. Well, no, he was character rank wise. He should have been on, on point. I mean, he was the sergeant or the corporal. Sergeant, yeah, sergeant, yeah. Not the, the officers don't take point. Exactly. So fuck that. Uh, so exactly. So uh, I think that kind of wraps up this episode. So I this is so. RPPR episode eighty-seven, fantasy with a horror chaser. Yeah. Yeah. It just, was. Yeah. Or just episode eighty-seven, fantasy with a horror chaser. <laughs> All right. This is Russ Payton. Yeah, this, this is Tom. We'll see you next time. See ya. Down in the woods at the top of a hill There's a house where no one lives So you take a big bag of your big city money there And buy it But at night when the house is dark And you're all alone There's a noise upstairs At the top of the stairs There's a door and you take a deep breath and try it And the flashlight shows you something the door There's a tattered dress and a feeling you have felt somewhere before And there's a creepy doll that always follows you It's got a ruined eye It's always open And there's a creepy doll that always follows you It's got a pretty mouth Scream and you close the door and you tell
downstairs Cause you just can't sleep So you make some tea And the doll disapprovingly asks If you really need that much honey You decide that you've had enough And you lock the doll in the wooden box You put the box in the fireplace Next to your bag of bits 